Well, welcome once again to AP's Profiles in Christian Living. My name is Mark Powell, and I have with me a special guest today, uh, Mr. Wayne Richards, former General Manager of the Presbyterian Church of New South Wales, and now the Chairman of Scots College, Sydney. Welcome, Wayne. Great Thank to have you with us. Good to see you, Mark. Now, Wayne, you've done many things in your life. Um, I didn't realise until recently that you're actually the brother of Kel Richards, uh, the famous uh, radio presenter. I'm the younger and better version. <laughs> I bumped into Clive Robertson once, and uh, and I, I got up the courage to tap him on the shoulder and say, "I, I know you, I know you." And when he looked at me strangely, I said, I, "I'm Kel Richards' little brother." <laughs> and he pointed and he said, "Ah, yes, the younger and better looking version." <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Look, there's so many things that I want to talk to you about today, but I've got to start by asking you, please tell us briefly, but it's no less importantly, how did you first become a Christian? Um, good question. Um, in fact, uh, it's relevant to something I've just finished doing, and that is that uh, when I was about eight, uh, eight and a half, Billy Graham, it was 1959, and Billy Graham came to town. My mother uh, is, was a Christian, and uh, I, I say to this day she prayed her whole family into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, but she took uh, me and my one other brother, Graham at the time, and uh, after the, uh, the call to come forward, she said, well, uh, aren't you going forward? And I said, well, um, if, if, you, if you want me to. So she shooed me out and I went down and got counselled and didn't have a clue uh, what I was doing. <laughs> um, but what they did do is they put Scripture Union notes in my hand. Yeah, right. And I started reading the Bible and God used that to convert me over the next year. Wow. So they're very fond memories. And how does that relate to what you're doing now? Well, I've, I've just finished putting together a devotional uh, working through uh, the, the Gospel of John for my grandchildren oh. because uh, it's about they're at the same age now. Mm. And uh, whilst there's a lot of very good material around, um, a lot of it is puzzle-orientated and game-orientated and entertainment-orientated. And they're old enough just to read the Scriptures with some notes and some encouragement day by day. Mm. So uh, I decided to give give it a go. And uh, I've got a little thing coming out called John Unplugged. Oh. I was going to say by the church drummer, but I didn't. Put that <laughs> yeah, you are a drummer as well. And not a bad one either. I've seen you. Uh, you're very good. You played in assembly and things like that. Well, I've been playing ever since then. 10 years, so 60 years of drumming. More wow. than 10,000 10, hours, I can assure you. Wow. Fantastic. Um, now, this really does touch on to the main thing I want to talk to you about today, and that is training young people, particularly Christian education. Now, if I can step back, because you have been the chairman of Sutherland Shire Christian School. Now known as Shire Christian School. Okay. You are also uh, the current chairman of Scots College, Sydney. Um, if I could step back and ask a bigger question first. Why a Christian education? Why? Because there'd be some people that would say that are very passionate. Um, some people would say, well, homeschooling's the way. Other people would want to say, no, we need to send them into public school education. Why do you think Christians need to be involved in education? Well, they do, very much so. I think um, there was a time when there was a strong argument for saying, well, it didn't really matter where you sent your school, uh, children to school and, of course, sending them to public school, well, it's a good witness, isn't it? And the, this day and age, I'd say, really? 
uh, how were you at their age witnessing for Christ uh, in, a, in a community which has changed greatly? The idea of Christian education or going to a school with a Christian worldview is that that place will reinforce what you're teaching your children at home. They won't be going to a place which will actually attempt to undo it. And mm-hmm. I think that's the greatest challenge. Uh, so something uh, going to a Christian school is like cotton wooling a child from the real world. And, and I'd say it's the very opposite. It's actually engaging Christianly with the world, giving your children the tools they need to go on and engage Christianly with the world as they mature. Um, we're in a time now, and this is probably another discussion, where there's a, a revolution going on in thinking um, in terms of critical theory, and that's coming through critical social justice theory and all the others, critical gender theory, critical race theory and whatever. And it's a, a, it's a God-hating, family-hating, Marxist-related theory, um, which, is, which is coming uh, to a school near you if it's not already there. We saw it with safe schools. That's the beginning of it mm-hmm. in Australia. Yeah. Um, but it's much bigger than that. And it's coming from the, the, the academic world, the, the tertiary institutions, which have been teaching for years about um, there's only two ways to look at the world, the, the dichotomy of um, whether you're the oppressor or the, or the oppressed as such. Um, and that's the way you must view um, every subject matter mm. uh, and how you must view all of life. And it's soul-destroying. Mm. Now, if you want to send your kid to a place that's going to do that, um, then I, I take my hat off to you. But we really need, I think, as Christians, to think seriously about supporting and being part of a Christian community which is trying to equip our kids to cope with, with what's being said out there and what are the answers, what are the Christian answers to that. It's fascinating. You, you, know, you talk about safe schools. Uh, now, you and I actually had a lot to do with that very issue um, a number of years ago now. Um, uh, when there was a huge furor at Burwood Girls School over the film Gaby Baby. And I remember discovering that week with you in all the press conferences and things that we did together, um, this thing called uh, the Safe Schools Coalition that had come out of La Trobe University with Ros Ward, who was an avowed Marxist. Um, and that was, I, I feel like, a tipping point in our culture where we realised that there was this other worldview, antithetical um, to the Christian faith that was operating, you're saying, really, you only see that becoming stronger. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I actually see a connection back to the late 19th century um, with uh, higher criticism, critical theory, textual, um, uh, cr- critical textual application, if you like, of the Bible, and, and how um, through that it, it actually stole the faith of many uh, pastors and ministers, but it wasn't until the middle of the 20th century that, that the effect of all of that actually started to flow through, that liberal theology weakening the faith of, of many Christians. Now, in the 20th century, late 20th century, we had postmodernism, and that has actually spawned, if you like, critical theory uh, in a revived Marxist kind of way. And I think we're now seeing that rolling out and affecting our children or coming to our children. That's a very robust historical assessment. I wonder who your pastor might be. <laughs> oh, I haven't discussed that with him. True. <laughs> okay. Oh, so Reverend Dr. He'll, Peter Barnes. Uh, he'll probably uh, he'll probably correct me historically. <laughs> he probably will too. Um, uh, but I mean, what, what's happening is that 
what was happening back way back then is yeah. now happening to the secular way of thinking, not right. just the Christian way. So you're seeing what you're really saying is we're seeing the fruit of it now being enacted through our institutions. Yeah, and beyond theology, it's now it's now right. the way you must think about uh, the world uh, in a secular sense. Okay, now you have been the chairman of Shire Christian School. You're now the, the chairman of Scots College. Uh, I think two of the really the finest schools I think in. New South Wales. They're two good schools. They're, they're, they're excellent. Um, what are the strengths of both schools? Hopefully they're trying to do the same thing, but because of their constituents, they're doing it slightly differently. I mean, it has been suggested that um, a Christian school is, uh, is, is really predominantly um, uh, working for the Christian parents and, and reinforcing those covenant obligations, yeah. and that a church school, if you like, is if it's coming from a good Christian worldview, is more evangelical in terms of trying to have mission. I think that's superficial. I think the reality is that uh, do we not try to evangelize our own children? Mm-hmm. Um, kids are kids. Uh, there are non-Christians in Christian schools, low-fee Christian schools, uh, and whilst you would... Uh, find yourself to be attractive as a Christian school to Christians. Um, you know, kids are kids and they still need to be converted and they still get caught smoking behind, you know, mm-hmm. the toilet block. Uh, and, and so you're still dealing with hearts that need to be changed. Now, um, in, in, a, in a higher fee school, for the want of a better word, um, if you have a strong Christian worldview, you're wanting to find opportunities to intentionally impart that everywhere you can. And yes, there probably will be less Christians in that school, uh, but that means we do the whole thing differently and make sure that there are regular opportunities to expose all boys uh, to the gospel, but also reinforce uh, the children, the students of Christian families, uh, what's being taught at home for them as well. Okay, so I've got to ask you this on a personal level, without betraying any confidences. How have you found it being the chairman of a parent-controlled Christian school to the chairman of a denominational school? First off, it's about controlling that meeting. And um, it, it's very easy to have midnight meetings, and uh, I refuse to. So managing the actual council or the board well so that you're actually focused in achieving things mm. and people know what's required of them when they come so that you are focused on the reason that you, you, you being, the reason you exist. Uh, and you're not distracted by a whole lot of other things which could be treated as managerial. And whilst they should be looked at and made sure that everything's happening Christianly, uh, in the end, you do need to separate governance and management and get on with the task okay, of, now of I'm guiding re- where it's going. I'm really interested to to drill down on this with you because I, I think you are a very gifted leader. You were the general manager of the Presbyterian Church of New South Wales. You, you are the, the chairman of Scots College. Um, help us to think through um, this as, for those that, that are listening to this, that are in similar positions of leadership. What makes for good leadership in councils uh, in terms of what you're talking about there with governance and management? Can you, can you help unpack that? What are some of the key principles that you need to keep in mind? You have to know why you're there uh, in that position. Mm-hmm. You're leading a group of men and women mm. uh, to govern body and they've given their time uh, which is precious mm-hmm. uh, probably uh, 
at difficult times, at night times too, uh, and they're not being paid. So uh, they love the Lord. I'm glad to say that uh, everyone on our council at Scott's College is, is a strong evangelical Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we need to respect what they're coming for. So you have to give them meaning as to what they're doing too. They're not there just to do some boring administration. Now, there, there is some boring compliance administration, which we're accountable for and must make sure is happening. Uh, but you do pay people to do that until you make sure that they're doing it. Uh, we're there for the bigger purpose of making sure that the strategy has been expressed correctly and it's being applied correctly, uh, and particularly uh, in honour of our owners, the Presbyterian Church and the mm-hmm. whole purpose as to why we exist. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and it's not forced. Delightfully, um, because we're of like mind as a council, the, the issues of how we actually advance the gospel in the school in different opportunities and, and ways intentionally mm. uh, is something which comes up naturally all the time. Mm. And we're blessed with a Christian leader, principal, mm-hmm. uh, who um, is intentional about what he's trying to do in employing Christian teachers mm-hmm. um, and making sure that the Christian worldview is in fact expressed in all the right places and that the kids hear the gospel. Mm. Um, and so I guess to try and answer that question simply, uh, be sure why you know why you're there. I think every good leader has a, talk, uh, a clock ticking in their head. They have a sense of wasted time. Um, I, I, when I did my MBA, I had a little personal um, motto where I said uh, uh, management is about um, providing meaning in the context of service whilst avoiding all the distractions. Mm. And people are only motivated by meaning. Mm. And so you've got to keep coming back to that. That's how you motivate people. Make sure that we all agree the reason and purpose why we're doing something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're doing it, obviously, because we love God. <clears throat> and we're doing it um, as a service because we're meant to love our neighbour. Mm. Uh, but there'll be uh, one million distractions that will stop you from doing that. Mm. And you've got to realise when the distraction is a distraction that's not from God, it's actually from the world or from something else, and you are now wasting your time and everybody else's time. So efficiency and effectiveness does come from being aware of that that clock, if you like, that's ticking mm-hmm. in your head. You've only got so many minutes, so many hours to actually mm. achieve some very, very important things. Mm. Um, when you became general manager, um, uh, I think it was early 2000s, wasn't it? Oh. 2001? Yeah. Two. Two. Yeah. It was at a pretty critical time in the Presbyterian Church of New South Wales. There was a, a lot going on in that time. I, re- I just recently interviewed um, Mr. Jeff Falls, who's now taken your job. Um, and he liked um, it so much. He was looking for chairman. He said, "I'd like to do that." That's right. That's right. Um, and uh, but before that, while you were general manager, he was chairman of trustees, and we talked about it being a very tumultuous time. Um, how do you think the denomination has changed from the early two thousands till the end of your tenure? Um, yeah, that, that's that's. Uh, I'm not sure I have an authoritative that's okay. answer to that. No, just your observation um, or perceptions. But but certainly, it's been encouraging and positive mm. um, in many ways. Um, I think from the the general office point of view, people were pleased to have someone who was actually on the same page as them, and that was all the new trustees that came on. Jeff mm. a, and they appointed me as as general manager. 
Um, uh, I, I guess fundamentally we needed to make sure that it wasn't a financial risk and burden mm-hmm. to, to the church. Uh, when I got there, we had about two weeks of cash left to pay the staff. Wow. Um, so that that, uh, that opened the eye pupils and, and focused the mind. So God was good and blessed a lot of things that we did. Then how could we then be proactive in helping the, the denomination do things and be responsive to that? So... Um, I guess whilst we did a number, we achieved a number of things in terms of financial matters. The key thing for me would be how the denomination has developed spiritually, um, in terms of mm-hmm. what it's doing. I think. And what's your observation there? Well, I think I've noticed that the word Presbyterianism or Presbyterians is better known and more respected around the place. Okay. Than perhaps it used to be. Now, I don't know. Who's brought that about? But I think over time, uh, again, it might come back to being clearer about what we're about as a denomination, uh, coming out of union, uh, being clearer about what God blesses in terms of mm. our reformed doctrine and mm. doctrines of grace. And um, and I've, I've had the pleasure of seeing, seeing some very good young men come through the college okay, and, uh, and do some very exciting things. Mm. Uh, I think our challenge, and we bring some unique things uh, about what worship means, mm. um, what a confessional church means, and uh, and we I think I've, we've seen the fruit of that, which more so perhaps than in previous years. Uh, the other thing I failed to mention before is that you're, you haven't just been chairman and uh, you know general manager, but you're also an elder. Uh, in the Presbyterian Church, and so you're also very active in the Sydney South Presbytery. Um, what do you think is the importance of a healthy, functioning presbytery to the good of our denomination? I think it's critical. Uh, it, it amazes me over the last few years the number of very important things presbyteries have had to deal with, or our presbytery for that matter. Okay, so without it breaking any confidentiality. Sure. Do you want to? Oh, just. Ministers who stumble, mm. and that's got to be resolved mm-hmm. in a biblical manner yep. for them and their congregation. Um, congregations that get into financial difficulty. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I guess there are positive opportunities as well, but there are things that I think, uh, you know, as a teenager, I was a Baptist. Baptists don't have such things. Mm. Uh, where do they turn for help? Um, you don't go to head office for help necessarily. So presbytery can be a, a really healthy um, peer group of supporting one another, um, holding one another up in prayer and in practical ways mm. that uh, other denominations just don't enjoy. And what do you think, though, are the challenges for us as a presbytery? Um, you know, like, you, I really see you as one of the older statesmen in the church, for better, for worse, right? <laughs> I think much for better. Um, but what do you, if you were to say to younger elders coming through um, and younger y- younger men or women that are looking to serve on the committees of the church, right, what would be a word of exhortation or advice you might give them? Well, not to be afraid to call out the hard things. I think uh, what we don't want it to be, committees and presbyteries shouldn't just be 
um, friendly little clubs that we like going to meetings for. I mean, who likes going to meetings? Mm. Um, they're meant to actually achieve things that are worthwhile, to take things forward proactively. Um, but also when you see an issue, there's the challenge or the risk of not wanting to raise it or deal with it properly because we're, well, we're, you know, we're loving and we're Christian and we don't want to hurt one another. Mm. So doing that in a way that is loving and doesn't hurt one another and calling it out and helping uh, I think is critical. Uh, mm. Otherwise, why are you on the committee? Mm-hmm. I mean, going back to Scott's, um, we've got all good people on the council, but it's wonderful the way that they actually challenge one another mm. and each other and uh, and pull us up on a regular basis. And so you, you're there to do that. So there's an old joke, you know, how many Presbyterians does it take to change a light bulb? You know, well, only one to change a light bulb, but nine to form a committee. Yes. Uh, and there are some people that roll their eyes going, not another committee. Um, uh, I mean, you've been very involved in committee work. Um, why would you encourage people that might be listening to this, that are presented with the opportunity to be on a committee, um, what what would be your word of advice or encouragement to why they should or, or maybe even should not join? What do they need to What do they need to bear in mind before they say, "I do" to that commitment? Um, just go do it for the right reasons. Don't do it because you think, um, uh, well, I'd like an activity. I'd like to fill up some of my time. Um, I like chatting. Uh, the number of times I've had to stop, stop at our meeting and say, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're chatting. Let's get back to business. Interesting. Um, so you're not there for the fellowship. You're there for other reasons. I mean, we, we, go, we go to other places for fellowship. Yeah. And there is fellowship, and that's natural. That'll always happen. But they're not the reasons you're going. The reasons you're going is to get something done and, and, whether and to keep that at the forefront of your mind. And keep focused and encourage your your management and your CEO that you're part of a committee of mm. um, in, in the right directions. I mean, the, the biggest jobs are indeed uh, finding replacements mm. for the head of an organisation. Mm. Um, that's, and that's, that's absolutely critical to mm. making sure that you stay on track. Now, if I could just change track a bit. I haven't given you any warning about this, but to talk about something on a personal level. Um, you're... Your husband, right? Um, how many years you been married now? Forty-seven. I hope I get that right. Oh wow, forty-seven coming up to the big five-zero. Yeah, um, which is fantastic. Congratulations. Um, but you're also a father. Um, what do you? What have been uh, now? A lot of a lot of people would um, be aware of, I guess, of your family um, dynamics. Um, do you want to just maybe share some of the the opportunities? Blessings sure. and challenges that you've experienced as a husband and father, and failings. <laughs> well, I've got two daughters, mm-hmm. um, forty-eight. No, forty. forty she's got to be a year younger I than mean, the marriage. Right, yeah. Right, yeah, that's right. Wait, Ma- maybe this is their forty-eighth year, and she's forty, coming out forty-seven. Yeah. Okay, um, get that number right. <laughs> she's, she's the eldest daughter, mm-hmm. uh, and she's intellectually disabled. Okay, so um, we'll never be empty nesters. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're three. We're always three, never two. Mm. Um, uh, we've overcapitalized the house, and she lives upstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, but she doesn't cook or anything, so she comes and, and has all the meals with us. Um, and uh, and she goes to a sheltered workshop, which they used to be called. They're not called that now, of course. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's good for her. So she has a uh, a good, robust life as independent as it possibly can. COVID's made it less independent. Mm. Um, hopefully, she'll get back to 
traveling on her own and doing things that she really loves doing. How has that shaped you as a Christian man, that responsibility? Um, you have to ask others, and maybe my wife, mm. um, because, and I know you're in not a dissimilar situation, but you constantly feel a failure because no one gave you the rule book for being a parent, let alone a parent of a child with special needs. And, and, and often the needs are unique. There's, there's no other one that you can actually look to. and It's not like a defined um, uh, condition, if you like. Mm. And so whilst you can only guess as to what to expect, um, you're really learning on the go. So you just need to depend on God prayerfully. Um, uh, I mean, and then there's milestones where you realise that your, your grandchildren uh, very quickly intellectually went ahead of your eldest daughter mm. and you didn't expect that and because she was our first child we had nothing to compare it to mm. and then we had second daughter uh, Marcia uh, who is a, a, a teacher in a Christian school mm. in Canberra with two little girls and um, a, and uh, she she is a great encouragement and it's been, probably had a bigger impact on her, her sister. And she asked one day, um, Dad, sometimes I feel like the big sister. And she must have asked that when she might have been 10 or 11. Mm. And I just said, you became the big sister a couple of years ago. Mm. Mm. So we've got two different girls who have different kinds of needs and we still delight in attempting to satisfy those needs. Mm. Um, uh, but Chrissy has a real faith which is really encouraging. Well, that's where I wanted to go, and I'm glad you mentioned that, um, if I can just press a little bit um, on that. Because um, we've talked about this uh, in other contexts, about people with disability and faith. Um, how have you seen that expressed and nurtured um, in your parenting? Well, the first thing I'd say, and my wife has been fabulous mm. in, in this regard, is that what, what you... If you stop and think about how you process things intellectually, mm. uh, we absorb, I would argue, 10 times. We're able to hear and understand 10 times that which we're able to express. Mm. You know, when we have to articulate things, the brain has to go into gear, we have to work at it, uh, and we stumble around. But when we don't, and we just spun, we're just sponges, mm. uh, you can absorb. So what I'm saying is you don't judge a person with a disability, particularly an intellectual disability, mm. can understand by what you're seeing in terms of how capable they are to communicate back to you. Mm. Make the assumption that they can actually hear and, and understand a lot more than you're getting feedback from. And what's the role? So you, so you, don't, sorry, so you don't talk down to them. Yeah, okay, um, okay. And, and you don't baby mm. everything, yep. okay? Um, you do it prayerfully, you do it intelligently, but... Um, we talk fairly normally in front because of they're still sinful people too, aren't they? Well, that's right. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. And and so you can talk to them about more things to do with the Christian faith and life mm. than you realise. That's what yeah, I'm saying. Right. Bec yeah, right. Even though they may not be able to verbally correct um, respond back. Yeah. Um, just uh, one, a couple more final questions. Um, one on this. Um, how do you? How important and what is the place of the local church in, in this regard? People with disabilities. Supporting families, uh, what well, you've seen has been the blessing in your own life. 
absolutely. Um, it, it's Chrissy's extended family mm. um, because she works in, in an operation where she has a, an annual review, like everybody has mm. an annual review. Um, and, and with the NDIS, they ask all these personal questions about mm. what you do and what you like doing. And Christine always mentions her church mm. and what she what she likes about the church and mm. people at the church. So um, um, it, it's it's vital for her. Uh, and she feels part of a large community because of that. Mm. And I think she feels accepted and safe, mm-hmm. which is very critical. Mm. Now, one final question. You uh, first sort of were prompted to faith at the 59 Billy Graham crusade. You said you are about eight or nine. So I'm doing the math and, mm-hmm. you know, right. So, you know, you're in that um, final season of life. Words of encouragement. What would you say to people that are, retired, in inverted commas, from their professional working life, they're in this season where you are now, um, what are the opportunities and challenges? Well, Because you're doing still a lot. I've never been a big five-year planner. You, mm-hmm. know, you must, must, must plan your life out for the next five years and make sure you're achieving all those goals. Oh, that's a shame because I was going to ask what's happening at Scott's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we are for the Scott's. Yeah. <laughs> Not for me personally. Okay. Um, and I say that simply to say that believing in the sovereignty of God and the providence of God, mm-hmm. uh, he's the one who opens doors and you've got to be open to that and be ready to walk through them, etc. And that's largely how things have happened for me. And I, th- I think being ready to respond um, to the right opportunities that, that people put before you. Uh, I'm not saying you shouldn't be proactive and lock on doors mm-hmm. yourself, but I've never been one of those sort of people okay. saying, you know... So there's I'll, I'll there's the providence of God. Yeah. But yeah. what what providential opportunities are there for you know our older australians i mean many would just go there's a worldly dream of being a gray nomad right uh what ministry opportunities are there well i was reading some spurgeon recently and and he reminded me uh, about um, how good and wise it is um what's the how does the saying going to to die with your boots on Mm. (laughs) in harness to die in harness okay um and that was challenging because uh, I had a neighbour once who confessed to me, a lovely Christian man, <clears throat> and he said to me, Wayne, my problem is that I'm fundamentally lazy. <laughs> mm. And he never was, okay? He was a very busy and, mm. and competent person. Um, but he felt that heart sin, and I think I have that as well. You know, I, I'd love just to put my feet up and read a book. Mm. Happy as Larry to do that. Um, so the best things that you end up doing are the ones that you do under pressure. That's how I find. Mm, uh, pre- pressure brings the best out of me. <laughs> mm. um, if I'm left to myself, I, I probably won't do it. Mm. So God has steered me and pushed me in certain directions um, because he's wanted to use me and I'm, I'm grateful and humbled and hopefully been effective uh, mm. for his glory in that yeah. process. So um, should you go out looking for stuff? Yes, it, life is not just playing golf when you retire. Mm. Um, Doing the small things that aren't noticed, perhaps, mm. uh, with individuals, one-on-one. Yeah. That's just as important because a lot you've got a lifetime of Christian experience and you've probably experienced or been through what they're going through. Mm. And so you can be of some help to others. Excellent. Don't waste that. 
Excellent. Well, thank you very much. It's been great having you with us. And I'm, you are doing an incredible amount, but it's great to hear you saying too about how do we need to be faithful in the little things. Yeah. And with, well, I think it was Schaefer that once said, there are no little people or little places. Uh, and the Lord Jesus says, if we're faithful with a little, then we'll be faithful with a lot. It's true. Yeah, great. Thank, thank you, you so Mark. much. Thank you. My pleasure. Um, this has been another edition of AP's Profiles for Christian Living, and I look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks again.